All right, let's get started. Thank you so much for continuing to give faithfully and continuing the work of the Lord here at Bethlehem. And uh, the Lord is definitely on the move. Once again, we, we are just meeting exclusively online for uh, the next, well, today. Today's the last day. So for two weeks, we have met uh, exclusively online. And next Sunday, uh, we will be back right here in person. We will open our building again safely. And uh, we're going to post our, um, as far as our guidelines, our strict guidelines, kind of that we are renewing our um, all right, let's get started. Let's go to the Word of God. Nehemiah chapter 8. Nehemiah chapter 8. I am excited about this message. I am excited. Let me see here. Nehemiah chapter 8. So this will be. The, the last week that we will meet exclusively online in our two-week break as far as our in-person gatherings. And next week, we will uh, resume gathering in person at our 9 a.m. Uh, service and our 11 a.m. service on Sunday. So we will continue our two services. And honestly, that has been our saving grace, if you will. And we, I haven't heard of any issues that have come up uh, from, from our... Uh, postponing gatherings, but for the reason that we postpone them. Uh, and if you're a part of our church family and even our extended church family, you've received emails as to why we were meeting exclusively online over the next two weeks. But uh, everything seems to be um, going well and everyone seems to be okay. And so we're very grateful and very thankful for that. Um, but next week we will resume, uh, we will resume in-person gatherings. So 9 a.m., our early service, it is definitely a more social distance service. Uh, our elderly, our immune compromised are encouraged to come to that 9 a.m. service if you're going to come to an in-person gathering. Of course, we'll continue to meet uh, online via Facebook, uh, right, just like we are today. And we're thankful for these uh, ways and mediums that we have to gather together and worship our Lord um, so I'm going to say a word of prayer, and we're going to get started, and we're going to go to Nehemiah chapter 8. Father, we love you. We thank you for your goodness. We thank you for your grace. Holy Spirit of God, I pray that you will move right now, that you will speak through me, that it would be your words and not mine. And Father, I pray that as we learn these incredible lessons uh, from, from your timeless, eternal word, your alive word, your quick and powerful word, Father. We pray that we would not be the same, but that we would all leave uh, different from today. Father, we, as we worshiped you, as we praised your name, and Father, we, we pray that you would be praised and that you, uh, it would be a, a sweet-smelling savor, Father, our worship to you as it reaches heaven today. But Father, I pray that we would remove barriers Father, that the things that we have between our soul and you, Father, we would just move those. Father, that your Holy Spirit would come into our presence, into our homes, Father, wherever they are watching, and that we will give you space, Father, to move and work in our lives. Father, make this passage, Nehemiah chapter 8, come alive in 2020. May it be relevant, and Father, may it work uh, in and of our hearts. In Jesus' name, amen. Nehemiah chapter 8. If I were to title the message, it would be a new year with the old plan. A new year with the old plan. Uh, looking here, just kind of scrubbing through uh, notes from last week, we talked uh, Nehemiah chapter 7 last week, and the title of that message was When the Wall is Built, and how Nehemiah took action to uh, set up the right people uh, with the boundaries that God had used him to implement in the city of Jerusalem. So we find that what the wall had represented, but it always, the something was not enough. The something always required someone. And, and if you're joining us for the first time, uh, first of all, comment on this post. Comment that this is your first time. And church folk, if you're a regular member and attender, uh, make them feel welcome for joining us here today. Uh, but if this is your first time, we've had a whole, we're on chapter 8 of Nehemiah, we've had a whole bunch of chapters already preached and, and that will help set the context and the tone 
for where we are here in chapter 8. Um, and, and I won't go and belabor the point and do a whole lot of review, um, but where, where we have traveled, what Nehemiah has overcome and accomplished at this point is incredible, and the way the Lord continues to use him. Uh, but we see here as we get into chapter 8 that a new figure comes onto the stage, and a figure that we believe is responsible for writing Ezra and Nehemiah, but he's introduced here into Nehemiah, into this book, uh, as they are divided into two books in our Bible, um, here for the first time. And this this scribe, this priest, his name is Ezra, and he comes in on the scene. So Nehemiah chapter 8, as we begin, um, and I've titled it the A New Year with an Old Plan, and you'll see why. We see here this part of Nehemiah where Ezra and Nehemiah are present together and bringing the people together for specific purposes. There is a specific reason and a specific purpose that we see uh, Nehemiah introducing Ezra, because we know that Nehemiah has been the leader. He's been spearheading this project of building the wall, of closing in the city limits, once again, as we talked about last week, for seclusion from the enemy, inclusion for God's people to begin to worship in, uh, in, in the temple and, and begin to worship uh, their God, the one true God. Israel was always uh, the nation that God chose, and, and their God was Yahweh, the God of Israel. So we find that the wall is built. Nehemiah appoints folks uh, in the city within the wall to manage that, and then we find here uh, that there is a gathering that takes place here in Nehemiah chapter 8. So we find that this gathering takes place in the square. It's a place that would represent the city gate where justice and social life would be discussed and regularly proclaimed. If you have your Bibles and you're turned hopefully there to Nehemiah chapter 8, verse number 1, it says that when the seventh month came and the Israelites had settled in their towns, all the people gathered together at the square in front of the water gate. So we find that the square is the place that would represent the city gate where justice and social life would be discussed and regularly proclaimed. So this is, if you will, the, the courthouse is a way to kind of put it. It doesn't necessarily carry the the full connotations that we would think courthouse, not just a justice system, but it is a place where those issues would be discussed and they would be brought to uh, a discussion as far as in an open forum. They would discuss social issues. They would be proclaimed and regular, regularly proclaimed. So it doesn't carry the, this, this square, if you will. Uh, it doesn't uh, carry all the implications of a uh, a courthouse, but we can kind of get the idea in our modern day culture that this is kind of the place in the city where they would gather and they would make decisions. Ezra appears as a scribe and a priest in the story in the effort of bringing them to the law of Moses. He was the preacher, if you will, if we would put it that way, kind of uh, more of a vulgar, not vulgar, but you understand what I'm, in a crude way as far as an understanding. Obviously, he was a scribe and a priest carried a lot of weight um, as far as his job and what he was doing uh, for the children of Israel in rebuilding the temple and the gate and the, and the wall, if you will. Uh, but we'll kind of get the, the concept and understand it that he is on the scene in chapter 8. Nehemiah and him are introduced at the same time, and, and they're here together for a specific purpose. And I think that it is uh, fair to say he is, he's the pastor, he's the preacher, he's showing up to inspire this spiritual reform. And we see the timeline here in verse 2, if you look at it, uh, right here on the first day of the seventh month, the, the priest Ezra brought the law before the assembly. So we, we see here that the timeline, if we put ourselves uh, in the timeline that the text is putting us in, this is representative of their new year. So understanding the way their calendar worked, if they were gathering together, this would be like our January 1st. This would be a new year, a, a New Year's Day type service and approach for us. And as they gathered uh, in the place of the city, the gate, if you will, where, where regular justice and social issues were proclaimed, they're all gathering together really in the first day of their new year. So 
so really trying to paint this picture here as uh, Nehemiah chapter 7, Nehemiah is appointing people to position, and now we see uh, this scribe and priest on the scene with Nehemiah, and they're gathering together in this great big gathering, all of them, and we'll see that in a moment, uh, and, and he's gathering them on the first day of their new calendar year. And we find that this was from morning until midday is what the text says. They were gathered from morning till midday. So we find that this is something like six hours that they are gathered together. And what is going to happen is they are literally going to stand. Ezra is going to stand. The people are going to stand. And we find that, uh, let's see if we can find it here in the text. And Ezra stood, verse 4, on a high wooden platform made for that purpose. Ezra opened the book in full view of all the people. He was elevated above everyone. And when he opened it, we find that all the people stood up in verse number five. So this is something like a six-hour standing and reading of the law of uh, Moses-type service where they were all gathered there at the center of the town's decisions. They're gathering their first New uh, Year-type service, and and if you will, he is introducing, reintroducing the law of Moses and bringing that message to the people, and he does so for six straight hours. We don't really know how much of it he was able to read through, but we know that it was a, a scroll, so the scroll was opened, and when that scroll was opened of the law of Moses, we find that the people stood up. We find that there was reverence for the, the words of God given to Moses, uh, the law of God that was given to them specifically because they were Yahweh's people. They were God's chosen people, and they knew they had reverence for the words of God as they were being read by the priest and the scribe Ezra. I think it sounds like a, a, a good order of service, don't you? Why don't we just from this point on, uh, I'll just stand up on top of my pulpit. Maybe we can make a contraption here uh, that makes it a little bit flatter. And I'll just read the word of God for six hours while you stand there and listen to it. Does that sound like a great service? Boy, I, I think we're off. I, th- I think our culture is the culture uh, that, it, that is having trouble. Obviously, turn on the news. Look, look at it. Actually, don't. No, uh, but, but see, we, we have a nation that's on fire. Why? Because we have a nation that, that wouldn't even consider standing around for a service where the word of God was open and read for, for six hours. But, that, but that's where they were. They knew they have come from a place of captivity. They've come from a place of brokenness, and they were reassembling, and and the reset button was being hit, and they were meeting with God, and the word of God was being read for six hours, and they stood in reverence. And we're going to see how this played out. Listen, we would be good as a nation to to understand that we need a new beginning. We need a new year. How many just want to hit stop on 2020 altogether? I know I do. 2020's been insane, and I think that it's a great time to pause right here at chapter 8 and say, God, give us a new year. God, give us a new way. God, give us a new, renewed vision and perspective because what's, what's happening is not working. But you see, I don't know that we, as people of God, as children of God, are willing to do what these folks did for the change, for the reform. I don't know. I, I, I would venture to say that if our liturgy, if our order of services looked like six hours of just reading the word of God, that it wouldn't last long. And maybe I'm wrong. Maybe we would give space for the Lord and maybe we would have massive revival. Uh, but would folks even stay through it? We, we, we have a public reading of scripture and and I go through a chap, usually about a chapter at a time. I don't even read all the verses, and we're doing good just to keep, you know, the, the auditorium filled and folks still coming and keep their interest. We're filled with people who say, you know, it's, it's really hard to pass. You know, teachers of preachers, it's, it's really hard to have a message that's past 25 minutes. You know, the mind can only absorb what the seat can endure, right? And if they're sitting on a hard pew... If they're having to hear you go on and on and on, man, these folks stood for six hours listening to the word of God. And I'm not saying that's how we're going to do it at Bethlehem. I'm just trying to paint the picture of where they were in their heart, what they were doing, what, how they started off their new year. Something like a six-hour standing and reading. All right, some notables about the Jewish new year, right? Understanding when it says seventh month, where the 
where the context takes us in their culture was it was their new year. That some notables would be that in this Jewish new year, it would be a time of fasting and repentance on the 10th and a time of feasting and thanksgiving for the harvest God had given on the 15th. When they find themselves in the right place, right, in the center of the, the square, the town, They find themselves in the right place with the right leadership. They are beginning the new year in the right way. There are so many incredible things that we could walk away with from this passage of scripture. But I'm just just gonna go through it. We're just gonna uh, uh, read some of these verses and walk through this passage together. And I hope that the Holy Spirit will speak to you in the ways that he has spoken to me. But, But I find that, Uh, they themselves were in the right place with the right leadership and they were beginning the year in the right way. Oh God, that we would all have a new beginning in this way. So let's dig in here. Let's see what the Lord does through these two dynamic leaders, Nehemiah and now Ezra, as we move in here on this place, the gate, the square, on this place where decisions happen in the city, and now they've all gathered. Okay, so the first thing that we find, let's look at verse number one. And all the people gathered themselves together as one man into the street that was before the water gate, the gate, and they spake unto Ezra the scribe to bring the book of the law of Moses, which the Lord had commanded Israel. Verse two says, and Ezra the priest brought the law before the congregation, both of men and women, and all that could hear with understanding upon the first day of the seventh month. Here's the first thing I see. Number one, the word of God was made the most important matter in justice and social issues. The gate. The, the gate. We, we find that where, where justice and social issues were discussed, remember, we, we've got the wall completed. 52 days, the wall is completed. People are appointed, and what you would think is, hey, let's get down to business. Hey, it's a new year with a new wall with new people appointed, and we got a governor named Nehemiah that is uh, really leading and spearheading and bringing these people to a place where they can be the people of God. They can worship God in their country context of Jerusalem. What do we do? Let's meet. Let's, let's have court. Let's make, uh, uh, let's make adjustments and let's talk about how to better our lives. Why don't we gather, call the priest, call the scribe who's passionate about the law of God and let's put him up on a pulpit of wood. Let's put him out in front of everybody. Lift him up as he reads the law of Moses. Number one, when the wall was constructed, when business was to resume, when when this place where judgment calls were made, what did they resume their judgment with? Number one, the word of God was made the most important matter in justice and social issues. We get that from the context of the wording used here that in the center of this Uh, of where the decisions were made in city leadership, they were lifting up the word of God, the law of Moses. We see the importance of this gathering with everyone being in place. Verse number two, we find that before the congregation, both of men and women, this was really uncharted. It, It would have been normally just men. But we find that everyone was present, men, women, and children. We find that Nehemiah, the governor, how he's orchestrating this and putting Ezra out there with the law of Moses, that everyone was present. Man, would to God that the word of God was made the most important matter in justice and social issues. And I, listen, I I share with you, I propose to you today that that's what this nation needs. This nation needs men of God standing up behind their pulpits or even on top of them proclaiming the word of God and saying, this is God's design. This is how we are supposed to live. This is what means something in our nation, one nation under God, and we all need to be present. Boy, if it isn't equality right here in Scripture. Oh, I don't like the Bible. It doesn't promote equality. Sure it does. Sure it does. When the nation was was brought together, uh, we find that the governor says, look, men, women, children, all of you come around. You need to hear what's the most important message, and that's the law given to our people. Mm -mm -mm. 
The word of God was made the most important matter in justice and social issues. And I pray every day that the word of God will be made the most important matter in our nation. Number two, the man of God was given the space for the word of God. Look at verses four and five. And Ezra the scribe stood upon a pulpit of wood which they had made for the purpose. For the purpose. The purpose. And beside him stood Mathali and Shema and Aniah and Arijah and Hilkiah and Messiah. On his right hand, on his left hand, Padiah and Mishael and Malchiah and Hashem, Hashbandana, Zechariah and Meshulam. And Ezra opened the book in the sight of all the people, for he was above all the people. And when he opened it, watch this, all the people stood up. Number two, the man of God was given the space for the word of God. Men of God should be careful to create space for only God's words. Not only is it important for the people to put the man of God, not only is it important for government officials, the governor of Jerusalem, Nehemiah, to orchestrate this meeting to happen under the man of God's leadership. It's important for the man of God to read and express only the words of God. So I see a twofold problem if we compare ourselves and our nation to the scripture. Number one, we got a bunch of men of God who are not speaking the words of God. They're speaking their own words. Boy, have I not experienced this in my lifetime. Pastors and people that were shepherds of mine, overseers that were literally fleecing the flock of God, that were literally using the church for their own benefit, their own gain. They were literally twisting the words of scripture to put them in a light and in a position so that they could take advantage of situations. God help us. God help us. They are not shepherds. They are not those that are working for God. They are what? Hirelings. They are people that are only there for the money. So it's important. I see a twofold, a twofold issue, two-sided issue. Number one, uh, that the man of God should be lifting up the words of God. And, and the second thing is the people of God stood up. The, the people of God were, were in this uh, a position of putting the man of God in his position to make space for the word of God. The man of God was given the space for the word of God. Oh, oh, that, that we would give space. Oh, that we would give space for the man of God to preach. Unfortunately, my fears, and, and I'm going to be transparent with you, my fears, and I know I have to, to give my anxieties and, and cast my cares upon the Lord because he does care for me because I am his mouthpiece. But honestly, looking at the way our nation is going, I feel like if I read some of these verses in the Holy Scriptures, that it's only a matter of time before our church building is, is you know, uh, defaced or broken down. But before the, the angry mob comes and, and says, I don't like the truth of that, that book that you're reading. It's not real. God isn't real. Listen, we got atheists. We have, we have non-believers that do not fear the Lord. And, and for that matter, they don't fear anything running amok in our nation. They're, they're running around wreaking havoc on something that God has given us, wreaking havoc uh, on our God-given freedoms and, and authorities that God has blessed us with and spitting in God's face. And as a pastor, as a preacher of the gospel of Christ, I, I just, I feel and fear that the day is coming when I get up on a place like this, on Facebook, proclaiming the word of God for it to only be censored, for it to only be lashed out against. And I hope that God's people will give a place for God's man to read the words of God. Our nation's headed in the opposite direction. People are leaving the church. Young people don't want anything to do with it. Why? For the same reason the children of Israel ended up in captivity to begin with. And they don't want to obey. They don't want to render unto God the things that are God's. Hmm. What do I see here as this nation was being rebuilt, as the wall was being rebuilt, as, as they were restored to their place of worship? What do I see? I see that the word of God was made 
the most important matter in justice and social issues. I see that the man of God was given the space for the word of God. Here's the third thing I see. The people, I see here that the people were receptive to their part in the commandments of God and their responsibilities. Huh. Would you figure that? The people give, uh, give a place for the word of God. They give the man of God space for the words of God, and then they're actually affected, and they take responsibility for what the words of God say. Hmm. Look at this verse, verse number six. The people were receptive to their part in the commandments of God and their responsibilities. Verse six, and Ezra blessed the Lord, the great God, and all the people answered, amen, amen. With lifting up their hands, they bowed their heads and worshiped their Lord with their face to the ground. Huh, fancy that. They give space for the word of God to actually speak. They allow God's mouthpiece to get up and deliver the message. And what do they say? Amen and amen. What is the Hebrew rendering of that? The Hebrew rendering is, is that is truth. They are signifying that they align with what those words are saying, with what those mean, with, with what the law of Moses is instructing them to do. Amen and amen. Boy, would the church of God stand up with the church of God say, amen and amen. The Lord has spoken. Thus saith the Lord, the man of God is nothing more than a mouthpiece. He's speaking the words of God. I align. I'll make the changes. I'll make the moves. They understand. It's not just amen. The Hebrew rendering is not just them saying, yeah, I can affirm that. There's more weight behind the Hebrew word. The Hebrew word is an acceptance of responsibility. An acceptance. A receptive nature to their part of the commandment of God and their responsibilities to it. Would to God that our nation would declare once again that the words of God are true. Are true words. Number four, what do I see? Verse seven and eight, and I'll read it to you. And Joshua and Benai and Sherbiah, Jamim, Akub, Shabbatai and Hodijah, Maseah, Kalita, sounds like a rapper, Azariah, Josabed, Hanan, Paliah, and the Levites. Watch this. Caused the people to understand the law. They helped with discernment. And the people stood in their place. So they read in the book of the law of God distinctly and gave the sense and caused them to understand the reading. Watch this. And Nehemiah, which is the Tishatha, that means governor, and Ezra, watch this, the priest, the scribe, and the Levites that taught the people said unto the people, this day is holy under the Lord your God. Watch this, here's what I see. Number four, just by way of review, number one, the word of God was made the most important matter in justice and social issues at the gate. Number two, the man of God was given the space for the word of God. Number three, the people were receptive to their part in the commandments of God and their responsibilities. Number four, the people were discipled in the truths of the law. We find that not only did Ezra read the law, that he had men and people in those positions to explain it, not only to just throw out the concepts, throw out the words, but to apply it. Not only are we to just listen and let it fall on deaf ears, but we are to listen to people that God has equipped to lead us and to disciple us. That's where the something always has the someone that we talked about last week. Number four, we find that the people were discipled in the truths of the law. Would to God that our conversations would revolve around the interpretation of Scripture. We're so hung up on politics. We're so hung up on our careers. We're so hung up on all the things that we got going on. How about we get hung up on the Bible 
How about we gather around and let the Lord through the Holy Spirit of God as he has gifted, gifted some to interpret scripture, to be prophetic in your life and to say, listen, this is what God has given me in the scriptures and you're doing it right now. You're submitting to your pastor as I'm giving you the words of the Lord and explaining them to you. Mo, uh, uh, Ezra did the same thing with the law of Moses. He appointed people to disciple people. We can't all come to the pastor, and we can't all come to church one time a week and expect to get it. We need to be daily being discipled. You need to be seeking out those that you know know the scriptures and set under their tutelage. You know, we, we live in the information age. We live in a time that, that your pastor pays for a subscription to right now media for anyone who is in our church with an endless library of, of tools to disciple you, of, of pastors all across the nation and, and men and women alike instructing us in the word of God. How much do you use it? How much do you put yourself in that place? They, they were serious about beginning their new year. They were serious about beginning this new chapter in their life, and they were discipled. Some of us, we just have to get to the point where we're willing to listen, where we're where we're willing to open our ears and shut our mouths. Come on. Number four, the people were discipled in the truths of the law. Number five, look at verse number nine. For all the people, the Bible says, wept when they heard the words of the law. Wow, what an incredible picture. All the people gathered, not just men, but men, women, and children. And the Bible clearly states that in chapter 8, it was to all those that understood. We, we get the sense in that culture that it was 12-year-old girls, 13-year-old boys, understanding that they have been through the process, that they are now responsible for their faith. They are now responsible. They've had their bar mitzvah, if you will, and, and they now are, are understanding and hearing the words, not the children that couldn't understand, but they, these are the folks that, that submitted themselves, that were there, that were present, and the man of God was giving the words of God, and it was moving, and, and the man of God was equipping others around and, and, and putting them in positions to disciple these people. And what was the effect? What, what, what happened? What took place because of that? They wept. They wept. We find that the people, watch this, were broken from the truth of the law. Verse 9, for all the people wept. Here's what I would say about this. Church, stop the facade. Stop the facade. Let the word of God do what the word of God is supposed to do. I, I just think back to a few weeks ago in our small group. I won't embarrass her by saying who it was, but it was clear that the word of God was working. The message of God was coming through and, and, and through a right now media study in our small group there watching the word of God and the truths of the scriptures work there was weeping in our small group class and then one receiving the Lord as Savior. Listen, if you will just stop and let the word of God work on you, if you will let the discipler that God has placed in your life actually speak into your life, you will be changed. They were moved. The people were broken from the truth of the law. Number six, the people were restored and rejuvenated from the truth of the law. I find that not just in this story, in this new beginning, in this new chapter, if you will, of their uh, lives being restored to their place in Jerusalem, that the law of Moses didn't come in and just wreck everybody. The truths of the scripture just didn't holler and rip everybody apart. Not only did it leave them weeping, it left them restored. The word of God, this is not just a message of repentance, it's a message of restoration. Both are necessary. So we find here that in verse 12, listen, and all the people went their way to eat, to drink, to send portions, and to make great mirth or, or, or a great uh, feast, a great celebration because they understood the words that were declared unto them. Let me, let me help you with this. Ezra, through equipping others to disciple the people of God, the people of God heard the words of God. They were, they were uh, smitten with, with uh, conviction, and they found themselves crying, and, and the weight and understanding of why they were in captivity, of why they had been taken away, and now why, watch this, God would restore them. You see, in the beginning of the new year, it was not just 
fasting and repentance. It was joy and celebration. We, we have a God that not only calls us to seasons where we go without for the purpose of understanding him more, but we have a God that allows us to rejoice and find true purpose and meaning in life. It's not about one or the other. It's about both. There are seasons in your life, church, that you absolutely need to go without and learn those lessons, and you absolutely need to indulge in what God has given you and thank him and praise him for all the good things that he's given you in, his li- in your life. You see, the prosperity gospel that's present in our nation now where people think that only when times are good that God is with them and giving them favor, that's why that's so wrong because there are never seasons of purging, only seasons of, uh, uh, of taking where we think that we are uh, the difference of, of folks just absorbing things and then folks contributing to it. It's both. It has to be both. So we find here that we find that we should stop the facade. People, they were broken with the truth of the law, but number six, the people were restored and rejuvenated with the truth from the law. The, uh, those that were discipling, these Levites, they explained to the people that, listen, it has been a tough journey. We have fallen far from God, but understand this, that we will celebrate. Understand this, that we have power in the one true God. Yahweh has not left us desolate. We are called to rejoice. We are called to give praise to our God who has provided for us. So don't weep. Yes, you wept. Yes, you understood. But we're going to turn that spirit of mourning, watch this, into a spirit of joy. Man, that's incredible. It's incredible. Bring on true joy. You see, the problem, let me just say this before I move on to my closing thoughts. We are a nation, we are a church, in this nation specifically, that wants only this season of joy. We have a culture of young people today that want only the benefits that their parents provided them. They don't want any of the sacrifice and the suffering that the parents have gone through to provide that. Our gospel that we have is a gospel of fellowship of suffering and a fellowship of joy. It's both. And you can only experience true joy when you understand true sacrifice. <laughs> Think about why our nation is in the, uh, the ridiculous state that it's in. Because there's a bunch of entitled people running around that don't understand true sacrifice. Therefore, they do not understand respect. But we find here a people of God, men, we would do well as a nation to go back to Nehemiah chapter 8. We find the people of God giving place for the word of God to be brought by the man of God, to be discipled by those that the man of God has commissioned and charged to lead them into the people uh, having mourning and repentance and then being led into great joy. What a wonderful picture. What a wonderful celebration that they are led into. And I understand that there's more to follow in chapter 9, and we'll get into that. But let's just take it one chapter at a time, okay? Here's my closing thoughts on chapter 8. Verse 9, I mentioned this to you before, but I want to bring it to light even a little bit more. The Bible says, Nehemiah, the governor, if it was, let's see here if I can find it. I think I had it in in King James as well. Uh, It's a weird word in in, uh, King James, but if you, if you have any other version, it's going to say Nehemiah the governor. So Nehemiah in verse number 9, right there it says, Nehemiah the governor, Ezra the priest and scribe, and the Levites who were instructing the people. I, I, I This in a closing thought. Nehemiah was a governor and made space for the preacher. Different gifts are required at different times. I've hit this several times throughout this book study because I've seen it several times. In our text, Nehemiah, even here in chapter 8, for the moving of the Lord to happen, he made space for those that had other gifts. He stayed in his lane. Would we stay in our lanes? Would we lean into our gifts and our abilities? And if we're a governor, let the pastor do his thing. You understand? (laughs) You say, wait a minute, isn't that something like what our nation is going through right now? Exactly! Hey, America, let the pastors be pastors and the governors be governors. Anyway, side, side point, we do it in the church also, right? We assert positions and authorities that God has not given us. 
Listen, let, let God call people to positions, and then you allow those positions to work in your life. That's free. Closing thought. Verse 10, another thought here. Verse 10, the heart of God's joy is including others who cannot take care of themselves. Don't miss this. I just, I don't want to go through this passage of scripture and ignore this point. Look at verse number 10. Then he said to them, go and eat what is rich, drink what is sweet, send portions to those who have nothing prepared, since today is holy to the Lord. Understand this, that when the Levites discipled the people and said, turn your mourning into joy, turn your sorrow into celebration, because Yahweh is our God, and we are here, and he is with us, and we will worship him today for what he has done for us. When he did that, and he sent them on their way, he said, go eat of the fat. That's not like the fat of the steak. In, in the text, it means go eat of the most choice meat that you have. Eat the filet mignon. Drink your best wine. This is the context of what is said. The context of what is stated here is this. He's saying, now that it's time for a celebration, go eat and have all the best. But watch, this is our God. This is our God. Look what he does. Even in this day, the post-exilic period, listen, he says, send portions to those who have nothing. In closing thoughts about this, the heart of God's joy, turning their sorrow into joy, spearheading this celebration, the heart of God's joy is including others who cannot take care of themselves. Man, we cannot miss this. The Levites instructed them to not only celebrate themselves, but to include others who, who don't have the means to celebrate the way they are celebrating. Church, it's always about the someone. It's always about the one God is leading you to. It's always about that person. I wonder how many times God leads us to repentance. God leads us into a fuller place into his presence where we are rejoicing. Where we are just so filled with the spirit of God and we're doing so much for the Lord. And I've never felt this close to God. But yet we don't bring anybody with us. The gospel is always a gospel to the stranger, is always a gospel to the neighbor. It's always a message of what you can do for someone else. Man, don't miss that. And then here is the 2020 peak, the aftermath, if you will. If we were to take this passage, understanding that the law, the old covenant, the Old Testament that Moses was was given on Mount Sinai to the children of Israel, and that is what is being introduced in this chapter 8. And, and Ezra the scribe is instructing them, people are discipling them in this message of the law of Moses, the old covenant, if you will. What is the new covenant? What is the message for us? What is the place? Where is the place, I should say, for the church? Yes, Pastor Matt, you've applied points throughout the message of how this applies to us, but, but if, if I were to stand up on the pulpit of wood and read this uh, text to you and commission you to be moved in such a way, what passage would I read? Would it be the law of Moses? I got one for you. Galatians chapter 3, 23 through 20, 24 through 29, and I read, Wherefore the law, law of Moses, the old covenant. Wherefore the law was our schoolmaster, Paul says, to bring us unto Christ. You, you see, the law of Moses led these people to a place that they were rejoicing and they were helping one another. What, what is the law to us? The law to us is a schoolmaster, something to teach us, to bring us unto Christ that we might be justified by faith. And this is where I want to have a fit. Justified. <laughs> in a place in the town where the gate is, where decisions of judgment are made on political and social issues, the pastor, the priest stands up and says, let's worry about the word of God and no other words of man. And reform started happening. The Bible says here to the church, Paul, to those in ours that is directly applying to us that the law is a schoolmaster to bring us unto Christ, that we might be justified, 
that we might be declared in our place of judgment just as if we were never a sinner. Justified by our faith, by our trust, by our belief in who Jesus is. But after that faith has come, we are no longer under a schoolmaster. We're no longer under the law. We're no longer under those precepts. Why? Because we're under something better. We've been led to the point. The map has got us to the treasure. If you're at the treasure where the map led you to, why do you need the map anymore? You're there. Understand? For ye are all the children of God by faith in Christ Jesus. For as many of you as have been baptized into Christ have put on Christ. There is neither Jew nor Greek. There is neither bond nor free. There is neither male nor female. For ye are all one in Christ Jesus. And if ye be Christ's, then are ye Abraham's seed and heirs according to the promise. You know the promise that God gave Father Abraham before the law, you know, of Moses ever happened? That he would make his people a a great nation. God has included us in that plan by leading us to Jesus. Understand. Understand what is being said here. For as many of you as been baptized into Christ have put on Christ. There is neither Jew nor Greek, bond nor free, neither male nor female. We live in a world where people are trying to define themselves, male or female, right? The Bible says it's neither male nor female. Aren't we getting hung up on the wrong issues today? The law 2,000 years ago led us to a place called Calvary where a man named Jesus did everything that we could not do. Why? Because he wasn't just a man, he was God. And we're down here in 2020 bickering over our identity when the Bible says that if we were to find our identity in Christ, we would be heirs according to the promise. We would have everything that we need. Giving the law was the plan for God to lead the whole world to Jesus. Acknowledgement of failure. We are not good enough to make it happen. And the Israelites failed miserably. Even in the moment of them receiving the law from Ezra, being discipled in the law, they were still unable to keep it. They still fell into sin. Why? Because that was God's plan. God, God's plan was to reveal to us himself in his son, Jesus Christ, the only one who could fulfill the law, the only one who could keep it. It is the schoolmaster, the law, any, any commandment, any right and wrong issue is given to us to show us that we can never be right. We will always choose wrong. Every emotion, every emotion should be present. Remember, they were sad and they were happy. Every emotion should be present when we are presented with the truths of God's word. The trouble is, is this generation is not allowing God's word to be presented in its purest form, the foolishness of preaching that God has given to us. But when the gospel is present, when you as a Christian are being discipled, when you peer into the perfect law of liberty and allow the word of God to work on you, you will feel every emotion. And watch this. Accepting Jesus as your Lord, all they that understood, verse 8 in our text, is our way to return to the kingdom of God. Estranged as wanderers, we are made sons and daughters. These folks that were in exile, returning to the Lord after exile, after captivity, understanding once again what God wanted from them, even unable to keep it, the idea and the knowledge of what God has done, had done for them and is doing for them brought great emotion. But listen, great emotion isn't enough. It was to lead us to Jesus, the one true Messiah, the one true God that could fulfill every point of the law. And we have the, and that, as Paul Harvey says, this is the rest of the story. We don't stand up and just read a bunch of commandments and tell you to keep it and, and projecting sacrifices and, and, and the rituals in the temple, they were all a picture of things to come. A schoolmaster to lead us to who really is the point, and that's Jesus. Jesus is the point today. So can I instruct you to respond to the joy of the Lord this morning? As the Levites in our passage, in our text, 
said, listen, no mourning today. We're going to celebrate the joy of our Lord leading us back to here. How would that look today? Here's how it would look. Christian, find your joy in Jesus. Christian, be, be, be reunited once again with the fact that we have everything we need in Jesus. He doesn't need you to be perfect. You can't be. He just needs you to accept him. He wants you <laughs> to just want to please him. Christian, how do we respond? Find your joy in him. God, help us. We have found our joy in every other thing. We have found our joy in things. Christian, can we find our joy in Jesus this morning? Can we find our joy once again? The law of the Lord is perfect, converting the soul. The testimony of the Lord is pure, making wise the simple. More to be desired are they than gold, yea, than fine gold. Sweeter also than honey in the honeycomb. The words of the Lord are pure, tried in a furnace of fire. In the beginning was the word, and the word was with God, and the word was God. The word became flesh. When will we fall in love with Jesus, Christian? When will we find our joy and fulfillment and what the Lord has for us in Jesus instead of in this life, what the devil has to offer? Christian, find your joy in Jesus. Lost one. Lost one. How can I instruct you in the joy of the Lord this morning? Find your joy in Jesus, Christian. Lost one, find your way in Jesus. If you, if you just feel like you can't make a right turn, you just can't figure it out, and you don't know the Lord, understand this. Jesus is the way, the truth, the life. No man cometh from the Father but by him. He brings purpose and fulfillment. He brings you the way. Jesus is the way. Christian, find your joy in him. He showed you the way a long time ago. It's, it's when we leave that. It's when we leave the word of God that we lose the emotion that goes along with it and the instruction that goes along with it. Lost person, if you don't know the Lord this morning, I want to encourage you, find your way in Jesus Christ. If you are uh, at a place where you would like to do that, if you would like to put your faith and trust in Jesus Christ, if you want to make Jesus your Lord and Savior, if you know that you can't do it on your own, you have been trying over and over and failing, at the purpose God has for you. It's because Jesus will enable you if you yield to him. And if you want to know more about the Lord, if you want to put your faith and trust, send us a message today right here on Facebook, and we'll reply. We'll help you with that decision to give Jesus Christ your life and make him your Lord and Savior. There are incredible principles in Nehemiah chapter 8. I hope that you were helped. I hope that you were encouraged watching the people of God Go back to God and watching how God's word played the most important role in that. Christian, let's be led by God's word to simply Jesus. Father, we love you. We thank you for your goodness. We thank you for your grace. Most of all, we thank you for Jesus. We thank you that we have everything we need in him. Father, may we have joy in him. May we find our fulfillment in him. May we find our direction in him. May we not forget that as we have the fat, as we have the greatest gift, Jesus, it is up to us to give that gift to those that do not have it. We love you and we thank you for all of these things. And we ask it in Jesus' name, amen. Thank you for joining us today. We will be back in in-person worship next Sunday, uh, but I'm thankful for this medium, and I'm, I'm thankful for all of you that joined us in worship today. Have a great day. You're dismissed.